Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. First, I want to start off by saying I apologize for the delay in the production of this particular episode. It is July, after all, and that means summer's here. And so with summer, there's a lot of things to do. Visiting with family and friends and going to the lake and going to the beach and the great outdoors, whatever it is that you're into, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I have had opportunities to simply crank out an episode, do it fast and get it over with, but I did not want the quality to suffer. And so I decided to wait a few extra days, which turned into weeks. And now I'm looking at the calendar and it's been almost a month since the last episode. So I just wanted you to know, I haven't forgotten about uh, the forge. I'm going to continue with it. It is my goal to get through the entire Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and that's quite an undertaking. I've looked at different ways to do it, and I am still undecided on exactly the pace that I want to take, but for right now, we're going to continue the way we're going. Let's jump right back into the place where we left off in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, today we're going to pick it up in chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21, and I'm going to do something a little bit different this time. We're going to read 
the first two verses of chapter 22. And when we get there in our discussion, I'm sure you're going to understand why. So stay with me and get ready for an exciting time in God's word. Now to Genesis chapter 21, beginning at verse 1, the word of God. And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah, as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, for I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing to Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and put it on her shoulder. He gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot, for she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. 
So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I've done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have sent by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and they're called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Now, chapter 22, the first two verses, hear these words, the words of the living God. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The Word of God. Amen. So this is where we are in our developing story of Abraham. After 25 years of waiting in the land of Canaan, Abraham is going to have a son. In Romans 4, verses 17 through 22, we read Paul's comments on the faith of Abraham. This is what it says. It says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. I bring this up here, this passage here, because throughout the New Testament, Abraham is used as an example of great faith and belief in the promises of God. And there's more in Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. And there's still more in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. What you should notice is Abraham and Sarah did not simply have a blind faith. Rather, they had seen God's word come to pass in their own lives. Yes, they had faith, but this was a faith that was something which had grown stronger through the experience of seeing God's provision and his protection over time. So how have you seen God's hand in your life? Consider what God has promised you in terms of your salvation as we study these next chapters. In these first eight verses here, we see God keeping his promise to not only Abraham, but notice he kept his promise to Sarah. Sarah is mentioned specifically. And also notice that it happened to be according to God's time schedule, not man's time schedule or a woman's time schedule for that matter, because certainly Sarah played a part in this. So it didn't happen on her time schedule, but it happened when God declared that it would happen. Pay particular attention to the phrase as you look at these verses, at the set time. That's in verse 2, at the set time. You see, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, yet Sarah was young enough to have a baby and to nurse him, as we read in verse 7. Abraham was also young enough to not only have Isaac with Sarah, but if you jump ahead into chapter 25, you see that Abraham had six sons with yet another wife after Sarah was dead. What was that other wife's name? You may want to look ahead and find out, or you'll just have to wait until we get there. I encourage you to read ahead. Don't wait on me. <laughs> but here's some questions for you. What does the story of Abraham and Sarah tell us of God's healing and rejuvenating power? What can we learn about patience from the lives of Abraham and Sarah? Those are questions I want you to think about. Think about God's healing and rejuvenating power. Think about patience as we've seen it modeled here in the story and the lives of Abraham and Sarah. So moving on, let's consider Isaac here for a moment. Isaac means laughter. And this name is certainly appropriate because you'll remember Sarah's laugh, how she basically did not think this was going to happen. And notice that there was a laugh of skepticism and there was a laugh of unbelief. And notice that now that laughter is changed into a laughter of joy at the fulfilled promise of God. Think of it. 
at first, both Abraham and Sarah had disbelief. However, when Isaac was born, Sarah laughs for joy at the supernatural work of grace. Here we are in the very first book of the Bible, 21 chapters in, and we see the work of grace. There is a thought among some Christians that almost as if there's two different gods, there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. And the God of the Old Testament is a God of law. And the God of the New Testament is a God of grace. Friends, let me just assure you that from page one, from the very beginning, there's only one God of both Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he is a God of grace throughout, from the beginning. Pray that God would open your eyes that you might see that. We've talked about this before in other episodes and other Bible studies. So, Here's a short list of some of the things to notice about Isaac. He was circumcised, the Bible tells us, when he was eight days old. And remember, this was God's command. It is a sign of the covenant which God made with Abraham. And not just Abraham, but all of Abraham's descendants. It marks Isaac as special. He was the son of promise. He had been chosen by God before he was even born. Next, I want you to notice that he was nursed by his mother, his 90-year-old mother. And I smile as I read this and think about it. And this probably went on until he was two or three years old because that was the custom of the time. Another thing which may seem a little bit strange to Westerners is that the day of his weaning, they had a feast. And this was also according to the custom of that time. And while it doesn't impact Isaac directly at this point in the narrative, we should note that Abraham was living in the land of, Phil, of the Philistines at this time. And remember this detail as you study the entire Old Testament. At this point in young Isaac's life and in Abraham's life, where is Abraham physically located? He's in the land of the Philistines. So as we consider verses 9 through 21, going to take a pretty big chunk there. We must not forget about Ishmael. He would have been around 16 years old at the time of Isaac's weaning. And contemplate this as we move forward. Ishmael did not choose who his parents were going to be. He did not choose to be born. None of this was Ishmael's idea. Ishmael, in this entire drama, as it unfolds is here because of a temporary lack of faith by his own father. And imagine being the only son for 16 years. And we all know what it's like to be 16 years old. But your mother is not the wife. She's not at least the first wife of your father. Imagine knowing that even though you're the firstborn, and especially think of this as a 16-year-old might think of it, 
I'm always going to be second. I won't be first, even though I am first. I'm second. And in this culture, being first is a very, very big deal, especially if you are a man. And we see Ishmael now mocks his half-brother. And it's understandable why he might want to mock him, but it's still not right. It's not correct. Think of 16 years knowing all these facts that I just mentioned and seeing how your mother gets treated because, after all, she's the bond servant of Sarah. And how long had Hagar been Sarah's handmaid? She was like her personal servant. It had been at least 20 years. What does Sarah call her? When Sarah asks Abraham to get rid of her, she refers to Hagar as this bondwoman. Get rid of this bondwoman. Now remember, this whole thing, this whole thing was, whose idea was it? It was Sarah's idea that Hagar would have a son and they would all pretend that it was Sarah's baby instead. Sarah had made the claim that she would raise Ishmael as her own when this whole mess got started. Remember that? And now what's her attitude toward Ishmael? That none of Abraham's inheritance should go to anyone but her son, Isaac, the son of promise. And thus we see the expulsion of Hagar and Ishmael. Abraham sends them away. And this removes any threat to Isaac's inheritance. And interestingly, we see laughter here once again, but it is the laughter of scorn from the one who's the half-brother toward the other who's the son of promise. So indeed, Isaac does mean laughter, does it not? And I do want to do a little bit of a deep dive into the Hebrew word, which is used here in verse 9 for scoffing or making fun of. Indeed, scoffing is an accurate translation because the Hebrew form here means to laugh at or to make sport of. And think about it for a moment. The son of the slave girl is making fun of the son of promise, the freeborn son. Now watch this. This is good, even if I say so myself. In the conflict between Ishmael and Isaac, we can see an illustration of the continuing conflict between law and grace, or between the flesh, meaning our flesh and our sinful desires, and the spirit. Galatians chapter 4, verse 22 through 31, it speaks to this, and I'm going to read from verse 29 there. And this is what it says. It says, But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. So notice that while Abraham and Sarah thought that they had a plan to help God with the promised offspring, and that it was in fact not the way God had promised that Abraham and Sarah would have a child. 
Notice that God is still sovereign over their bad choices. He's still sovereign over the consequences of all those bad choices. And in the lives and the struggles of Ishmael and Isaac, we see the war between the flesh and the spirit. The war between law and grace. The free in Christ, if you will, and the slave to sin. And there's something about our flesh, even as Christians, and I find this even true for myself. I'm no different than you. Sometimes I want to help out God with my own salvation. Sometimes I still want to work for it as though I can earn some kind of cool points with God if I do this or if I do that. No, (laughs) my flesh, my flesh will never please God. And may we constantly examine our motivations that we are led by the spirit and not by the flesh. So here's some questions for you. Was Abraham right or was he wrong to send Hagar and Ishmael away? Did it make him sad? Well, I'll answer these questions this way. First of all, God told him to go ahead and follow the advice of Sarah in this particular case. But what's really going on here? Well, sometimes we must cut ties with others, even if it goes against our own personal feelings. Sometimes God may ask us to put an end to a relationship or other things in our life to which we would rather hold on to. We would rather cling to that. So as I just stated, That conflict between Ishmael and Isaac, it gives us a great illustration of that continuing conflict between our flesh and our spirit. And if you have been born again, what we're talking about here is that holy spirit, which has now taken residence within you. So we also see that God heard the prayer of Hagar. And one lesson you can take from this is that God hears the prayers of mothers for their children. Even when that mother wasn't perfect and even when that child is not perfect. So if you're a praying mother out there and you're listening to this podcast, be encouraged. You see here, the God reminds Hagar that he will keep his promise to Ishmael. Notice also that God heard the prayer of the son. Ishmael. It's interesting as you read through that, it is Hagar who cries out and begins to weep, but then it says God hears the lad. He hears the boy. So you might be thinking that you're too evil to pray. You might recall something that you did in the past, which was wrong. Maybe you mocked someone or laughed at them or made sport of them. Maybe you mocked God or others who follow God. Friends, if you'll come to God with a broken and contrite heart, God will hear your prayers too. Look at what happens here. We read the account here of how God gave them water and he took care of them. And the story of Ishmael goes on. Ishmael goes on. He marries a wife, which his mother obtains from him, uh, for him rather, from Egypt. 
he becomes an archer, the Bible says. And no doubt he provided for his wife and his mother in this way. Remember that the social security and the retirement plan of the ancient world was to have children. Skipping ahead into Genesis chapter 25 and verses 13 through 15, we see that Ishmael is the father of 12 sons. So you see God's promise of a great nation coming from Abraham's offspring is true, even though uh, Ishmael was not the son of promise. He still inherits blessings from Abraham and a great nation has begun. Now, as we continue on looking at verses 22 through 34, we find Abimelech seeking a peace treaty with Abraham. And we know from the text, uh, Abimelech clearly sees God's hand upon Abraham. So Abimelech takes his chief of staff with him to discuss terms of peace. He seeks a promise from Abraham that Abraham will not harm Abimelech's people. And this sort of happens as a parenthetical story in the midst of all of this discussion that we were just having about Ishmael and Isaac. So here we learn a little bit more about Abraham. See, Abraham uses this opportunity to clear up a little problem. Abraham's people had dug a well, and Abimelech's people had taken the well. In short, Abimelech did not know anything about that, and he agrees to give the well back to Abraham. And notice what happens next. Abraham now gives Abimelech sheep and oxen as a gift. Why do we bring this up? Well, remember that earlier it was Abimelech who was giving gifts to Abraham. So let's take a look at this exchange that goes on here. Among these gifts were seven ewe lambs. And as we've mentioned before, the number seven indicates completeness. And the name of this place is called Beersheba, which means the well of the oath or the well of the seven. And so we see here also that Abraham recognizes God's provision and protection. And God is recognized here as, and this is the way it would have been said in Hebrew, Jehovah or uh, Yahweh El Olam, which means Jehovah or Yahweh is the eternal God. In fact, that's what it says in our English translations is that God is the eternal God. And to give you a sneak peek of things to come, eventually Abraham will come back to this area and live but for now, he goes back to where? He goes back to the land of the Philistines until Isaac is a grown man. Interesting to note here that even though Abraham's well had been taken by the people of Abimelech, Abraham did not 
take it to war. He did not go to Abimelech with the complaint, but apparently here, and again, God's timing and in Abraham's trust and God's provision, the eternal God, he knew God will take care of this. So I'm going to include, as I've already stated, the first two verses of the next chapter, because I want to set us up for our next study. You see, between the end of chapter 21 and the beginning of chapter 22, we've got a time gap of about 35 years, give or take. And we also know that Sarah died when she was 127 years old. So can you tell me how I came up with a 35-year figure in between the end of chapter 21 and the beginning of chapter 22? Did I just make it up? Is there something in the reading which gives us a clue as to how we might be able to figure out these years? You've got until the next episode to figure it out. (laughs) But for now, uh, let's just take a look at chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. See, there can be no doubt that Abraham had continued to serve God and gave thanks to God for God's blessings. Isaac was grown at this point and no doubt had been told over and over that he was the son of promise. However, it seems from the reading that God has been silent for a number of years. From the end of chapter 1 to the beginning of chapter 2. And now he breaks his silence. And what does God command? In verse 2, God says, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now let that sink in for just a moment. Abraham has waited for the promise of God. The promise has been fulfilled. We see it in the life of Isaac. And now God says, Abraham, I want you to take that son. And he even goes so far as to say, your only son, Isaac. Why? Because remember now, Ishmael has been sent away. And this shows you that God recognizes Isaac as a special son. And go back to verse 1. God is about to test Abraham. And this is the first use of the Hebrew word nasah, which can also be translated as tempt. So what is in view here is not a temptation from God to Abraham wanting or setting Abraham up for sin, but it is a testing or a trying. And we know from our study in James, remember we studied the book of James, and in chapter 1, verse 13, it tells us that God does not tempt us to sin. So this is the same word that is used of Jesus. When he was tempted, he was proved or he was approved. 
but he never sinned. And God will often test his chosen ones. We see this throughout the scriptures. And this proves or approves their faith and their obedience. And it will most often come through some kind of a hardship, some kind of an inconvenience, some kind of adversity. And it also stands as a testimony of God's greatness when the testing is over and he is glorified. And that's what we will see here. Now, Abraham faces this almost unthinkable testing from God. Is it possible to love God's promises more than we actually love God himself? Did Abraham love Isaac too much? You see, we ought to love God because of who he is, not because of promises that he made to us. See, God is worthy of our love and our devotion and our worship and praise. In fact, worship comes from that word worthy. It means that we are ascribing to God worth when we worship him. You see, he alone is the creator of all things. He's the giver of life. He's the master of all things. He's the only hope of salvation. And as we will soon see, he is working all of these events for his glorification and for his own purposes. This is for Abraham's good and God's glory. And so it is with us. Whatever is going on, it is for our good and for his glory. And this leads us to another word that we see here in the Bible for the very first time. And that word is the word love. Love. Why do I emphasize when we read a word for the first time? in the Bible. It's because there's a principle of first mention in the Bible. And it points to an important concept. And love certainly is an important concept. So when we see these first mentions, it gives us the definition of how the word is to be thought of by all of mankind. It's the way God defines the word. And this principle holds true throughout all of the book of Genesis and indeed the entire Bible. So let's take a look at this word, love. God's first mention of love in his book, the Bible, is not the love of man for his wife. It is not the love of a mother for her children. It's not brotherly love. It's not the love of country. It's not even man's love for God. No, God's first mention of the word love is from a father to a son. Let that sink in for just one moment. The very first mention of the word love in God's holy book, the Bible, is from father to son. Do you think that God is speaking? <laughs> Do you think that God is showing us something here? This word love is also used in conjunction with the sacrifice of that only 
son. And in this case, it is Isaac. Henry Morris, whom I have quoted uh, many times, several times at least, in our study on Genesis, um, he said this about this particular passage. He says, This first mention of love in Scripture, therefore, calls attention to the fact that the love of a godly father for his only son is a miniature picture of the love existing among the persons of the Holy Trinity, and in particular, the love of the father for the son. This love, of course, existed long before the world was created from eternity past. Therefore, this love must be the root and foundation of all other types of love. The love of man and woman, the love of mother for child, indeed all love has its source in God's love. But see, there's even more about love in the Bible. In the New Testament, John's gospel uses the word love more than any other of the gospels. And John is known as the disciple that Jesus did what? Jesus loved. As we see in John chapter 13, verse 23, and in John 21, verse 7, we find John is the disciple that Jesus Loved, And it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you and he didn't love the other disciples as well. But John apparently wants to be known for one thing. Think of it. Jesus loves me. What an awesome thing. Imagine that if all you wanted to be known for was one thing. I just want you to know Jesus loves me. And of course, we have the incredible sign happening at Jesus' baptism by John the Baptizer, as it's recorded in the three other Gospels, a voice from heaven stating, this is my beloved son. And further on in the Gospel, according to John, we find John's very first mention of love is followed by the phrase, that he gave. Well, what did he give? He gave his only begotten son. And here's what I want you to see about the word love in the New Testament here. Three times we read of God the Father shouting his love for his son from heaven. And then John tells us that he loved us so much that he gave this son for us. Dear Christian, do you have any idea how much God loves you? And let me be so bold as to state that no, you really don't have any idea how much he loves you. Why? Because it's beyond anything we can imagine. The love that God has for his own. And I sincerely hope that you can see the connection here being brought out by God's command to Abraham to sacrifice his only son. And I hope you can see the power of the father's love for his son. So what's the takeaway for this particular episode? Well, here it is. We should never doubt the promises of God. He will be faithful and he has proven himself over and over to his people. 
trusting in Christ alone, you can be assured of your salvation. And remember, God loves even someone like you, dear Christian, no matter what you've done and no matter where you've been. Your worst actions will not love for you. listening to the forge podcast and don't forget to leave a review with comments let me hear from you leave a voice message through the link i hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of god's word in daily living remember dear christian you are forgiven it is by grace that you've been saved through faith may you grow in christ in the study of the bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged. Encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him. 